Welcome to episode 504 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 504 of I Am Talk with Coach John Yusuf and Bevan James. I was, how you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan, and you? I'm losing my voice. Oh, dear. I know it's not good for this job. No. This job's all about my voice. It is. Some people are probably loving it that I'm losing my voice. Some people would. <laughs> you yeah. want me to agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, Apparently, yeah. the show's all about you anyway. Exactly. I had, I, had a guy, no, I had a guy in my, my um, course that I started last week. And he was, he's into cycling and stuff, and he's actually going to try to bike Christchurch to Auckland in three days, which I thought was a pretty big ask. How many k's would that be? Well, he's, the first day is not as far as I thought. It's only 320 or something up to Picton, but then the other two days, I think that'd be quite long. Wouldn't be much fun on the main road. No. But anyway, um, he, we got talking, and I said, I'll do this podcast. And he goes, oh, that's a podcast that Bevan, Bevan James Isles does, oh, isn't it? The guy's a legend. And someone else. And some, some guy by the name of John. John yeah. Newsom. Yeah. Oh, he's a wise man, obviously. I've taught him well. Mm. I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme endurance. Your lactic buffer. And our patrons. And our patrons include some of this, these cool people today. John Bolin, you name them. I'm going to find Murray my the Holy Hammer Lapworth. Oh, Murray the Holy, Holy Hammer. We've also got um, Adam Flipper Philby. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've, I've, he's emailed me this and I, I probably still going to get it wrong um, I think it's Liam Thedham Perry Robotry nice Michael Collins built to last and James Reed the feeler yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now that's because of the, James Reed's the singer of the band called the feelers the feeler does sound slightly wrong okay. just saying yeah. but he's just oh. feeling you out in a race yeah. okay guys this week's show is an interview packed show so we've got some news we've got some hot topics and then we've got three interviews John yes so we've just done an interview with Rob Gray who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago he was training up Ultraman Florida and he is going to tell us about his day good times and we yeah. also have um, Arnold Arnold Slukov who Put is a seventh yeah, 10th. Uh, oh, 10th, was it? 10th. He, he raced in Challenge Monica. One of the focuses I'm really keen to get on this year is to have age groupers on the show, top age groupers, middle of the pack age groupers, and, and Arno's, Arno's certainly at the, the top end of that. He's uh, finished high up in Kona, um, and he was also 10th overall in Challenge Monica. And then finally, we're going to have, uh, all going to plan, we'll have Dougal Allen, who was the Challenge Monica winner, in pretty bloody impressive fashion. Really impressive, which we'll talk about in a second. So uh, that's, that's pretty much what's going to be happening in today's show. So first of all, news. Uh, Challenge Wanaka was on this weekend, and or last weekend. And the big news was, because I wasn't working there this year, unfortunately. I that was the big news, was it? Yeah, again, the race <laughs> is all about me. But no, no, but I wasn't there. So I was just kind of with my runners, and I got a text from someone saying they've delayed the swim start because mm. of the winds. So what was the story there? Well, the, the winds got up, and they were blowing the, the, the swim buoys off uh, off their anchors oh, really? a little bit. So, wow. so that, I, think it, I think it got delayed by maybe 15 minutes or something like that. Pretty windy, though, and apparently uh, pretty choppy. Apparently, the started, it actually calmed down a little bit for the age groupers. Right. That's, that's what someone said to me. They said that it was pretty mind-blowing thinking we're going to have to get into this. And then mm. as soon as the pro started, it kind of just evened off a little bit. And as, you, as always... The next day, apparently, it was just like a 
pancake, flat as this table, Dave Dwan said to me. Oh, really? He said, next morning you get up, just the most... Is that Dwan race? No, he was down there um, in the lead vehicle. But it's, it's just so typical things like that happen. Like Wanaka is one of the most beautiful places in the world. And when you have a calm day, it's an amazing lake, just mountains all around you. But on race day, they had to deal with some, uh, firstly, wind in the, in the uh, swim, um, and which created a lot of chop. And then it was apparently crazy windy on the bike. And, and then, I heard it was four seasons in one day as well. Yeah. Yeah. It started off cold, sun came out, but it was windy. And Point then on the rain. run, uh, yeah, there was some torrential downpours. So it's great, though. That's what you love about racing. You know, you had the best, I reckon you would have had the best experience in Kona. At the time, it would have been a real battle when you had your windy year. But I felt cheated when, when we had the year the, the first time I went over and it was just calm calm as anything. Yeah, there is uh, something about an epic race. Oh, there? it's great. It's just yeah. like it throws, it, thro- it just throws another element in there. You, you can't just sit there and ride at certain watts or run to certain paces because you're going to get getting blown all over the place. And uh, I love those days. So do go ahead and talk it out. Now, is that the course record? I'm pretty sure it's close. It is. Yeah, it no, is. it was course record. Which so it, it wasn't a slow day or did he just have an amazing race? Well, he's a big unit yeah. So he ha- and he's very strong on the bike. So I think for the, for the top athletes, they handled those conditions a lot more. For the athletes that perhaps aren't quite as fit as the pro athletes, yep. aren't quite as big as some of those big kahunas, then they're going to struggle a lot more. So the girls' times were, were slower um, than what you'd... No, not too much slower, but... Um, yeah. But and Yvonne in, in her kind of post-race interviews was saying she wasn't that fit coming into this race so mm. the slowness may just come down to the fact that she wasn't in top condition yeah so Dougal Allen he, um, last year he was about 17 minutes behind Dylan out of the swim this year he was only 10 minutes down still 10 minutes a long way to be down yeah. so he swam 54.39 he biked 4.36 which is insane on, on that, that course. course it's not only was it windy but it's a bumpy very bumpy course and also it's got a it's just a slow surface but it's amazingly um scenic so if we look at Dougal Allen and we look at top riders in the sport where would he sit Right up there. You think right up yeah, there? Yeah, well, Mike, Mikey Twelsick, who was uh, in second place, I believe he had the fastest bike split in Kona last year. I think he's either fastest or very close to it. Yeah. Uh, and he's consistently one of the fastest riders in the sport. Probably not quite at the same as uh, Starkowitz and those guys, but certainly the way that Dougal Allen rode here and the way that he rode last year, you would definitely classify him as one of those top sort of five in, in the world and in terms of his bike. Gap? I can't figure out the time gap between them on the bike. Uh, so uh, I'll get that out in a second, but then he ran a 2.57. So it's uh, it's not a slow course down there, it's a bit undulating, but 2.57 is pretty respectable when you've run a 4.36 and it's all he needed to do on the day. He was second off the bike, uh, I think it was around about three minutes down coming off the bike, and he was moved into the lead I'm pretty sure it was before the end of the first lap, or it was, or it was towards the end of the first lap, and then just uh, just slowly built on that to end up winning by eight minutes and 55 seconds from Mike Twelsick, uh, and Mike Twelsick's time was 4:37, so he was uh, about a little bit quicker than, um, well, he was a couple of minutes slower than Dougal Allen on the bike. So impressive riding, and then we had uh, Matt Russell who came storming through on the run, mm-hmm. and he was only uh, at 8:42, so he was. Only two minutes off third place, and he ran a pretty impressive 254 um, on that course. And he managed to pass Dylan McNeese, who faded badly on the run and only managed to win 19. I haven't heard what happened. I just think he had a. He, he was okay off the bike, you know. So he was um, he was ten minutes down on around about ten minutes down on 12 sick off the bike, uh, and he was around about. 
He'd lost about seven minutes on Dougal Allen, so it wasn't like it was a disaster at that stage. And if he'd put in the same sort of run that he's done in the past, where he's run a little bit under three hours, then he would have finished uh, in second place. Yeah. So, but he blew out on the run and uh, and only ran like a three. 30 or something like that um, and yeah so he ended up fourth so King Dylan's reign is over in Wanaka yeah which is you know like he has dominated one last three years hasn't mm, he so like mm. he has dominated this race for the last few years so you know but in saying that Dougal Allen's kind of worked his way up the ladder and he's come back every year and he's always been determined to win this race so Bloody good effort. Yeah, so the stats, you know, last week Torsten had uh, Dougal Allen statistically should have won the race, and he uh, and he did. So probably the, the, the bad news of the day was um, Joe Skipper, who could have added another element to the race. He uh, DNF'd. So, this um, trip's been a bit of a disaster for him, hasn't it? It has, but he's going Ironman New Zealand as well. So his bike got damaged on the way over. Um, obviously must have somehow got it fixed, but then it, uh, it either broke down, whether the same thing or something different on the bike legs. So he DNF'd, which is a real shame because if he was in good shape, he would have been right in the mix as well and could have added another dimension to the race as well so good times there on the girls side of things it was a fantastic uh, battle between Yvonne Van Vlerken and Laura Siddle so Laura Siddle um, took a took the lead on the bike and had a lead coming off the bike uh, it wasn't ginormous and Yvonne Van Vlerken caught her on the run um, did pass her pretty convincingly but didn't open up a ginormous gap. She ended up winning by 3 minutes and 39 seconds. Uh, her time was 9.26. So she swam 54.32, rode 5.15, and then ran a 3.12. So um, Laura Siddle certainly didn't let her get away from it. And Gina Crawford DNF'd, unfortunately. Um, not quite, I think it was a mechanical on the bike. And a couple of other girls, actually, pro girls, got blown off their bikes and uh, really? ended up in hospital. Wow. Which I shouldn't be laughing about, but it's um, no, that's pretty crazy. It's though, crazy. It? Yeah. It's just crazy conditions. When you consider in Kona, you, you know, it's crazy windy over there. Uh, people don't tend to get blown off their bikes, which I th- really sh- is an indication of how tough this it history, is. But it has, it's, it's a bit hit and miss with weather. Right? Some years mm. you get a calm day, and in other years we have had these kind of crazy windy days, and mm. it seems to really kind of beat the athletes up. Now Meredith Hill, who got third, she was an age grouper. Oh, nice. Yeah, so well done, Meredith. That's pretty impressive. And then Julia Grant came in at fourth. Hmm. So, but there was a big gap between first, second, and third, like an hour between second and third. So, uh, pretty interesting day out there. Um, Ultraman f- oh, and a couple of other things on the on the the race was so they had they actually had live coverage. Um, yeah. the, the results were quite good. Um, they also had, they were streaming live coverage via YouTube, and and this really shows to me that. WTC probably should be upping their game. I mean, if Challenge Monica is a pretty small race, relatively speaking, and they were able to do live coverage. They so they looked. I think they had two cameras out there plus a couple of stationary cameras, and um, and so they were follow. They were moving around, either being on the leader or being on second place. They had Blinda Granger commentating, and if you want somebody to talk continuously for a day, she is the perfect person She's for the job. Well, isn't she? Um, so she managed to hold it together. I think it would have been better if she'd had a co-host as yeah. well. It just, it's, it's just it, yeah, it adds to the whole experience. Um, it, the, now the YouTube coverage, they did lose their, um, l- did drop out a number of times for reasonable length of period. That may have been a weather factor as well. But when the coverage was on, it was um, it was pretty reasonable. And when you think, 
you know, we don't really get much coverage outside of Kona. I suppose some of the regional championship races, they do do some coverage. But, you know, if a race like Challenge Wanaka, where they only have a couple of hundred in the, in the iron distance race, and then they have loads in the half and the teams and stuff, so they end up having about the same amount. Well, they if, have if they 1,600 it, athletes racing, which, yeah. which is actually the biggest race field yet, and which is pretty good because, you know, they moved the race last a couple of years ago, didn't they? They changed mm. the date of the race. And, you know, I was kind of curious, is this going to be a good move or not? And it's obviously turned out to be a really good move. Yeah, so I, I kind of think coverage was certainly not Kona standard or anything like that, but I thought, you know, if they can do that there, How surely surely the WTC can find some money in their pockets to actually do this at a, at a few more races. you are about doing a triathlon, Challenge Wanaka is, is a great race to do, oh. isn't it? And it's a destination. It's just fantastic. Yeah. So yes, you've got to be prepared that yeah, the weather you could get some some pretty it's nasty right weather. Like it's, earlier, isn't oh, it? I, I would love it. I was watching that going. Oh, it'd be bloody brilliant to be down there. So uh, great race. Yep, ten years. Well done, Monica. Good stuff. Okay, so Jumbo, we also had Ultraman Florida, and uh, the yeah. man we've been keeping up to date with, won it, John? Yes, so Rob, right you'll, you'll hear loop. more about this later on, but uh, Rob Gray took it out in a time of 23 hours, 22 minutes, so his splits were 2.48 uh, in the swim on day one, his bike time on day one, which is 93 miles, was 4 hours, 33 minutes, and then on day two, his 170 mile bike ride was 8 hours and 6 minutes, and then day three, uh, he ran a 7.53, so he ended up winning, as you going to hear later on by not very much and the guy who was second David Gething what ran a 705 so that was pretty impressive and then on the girls side of things we had Jessica Deree take it out in 27 hours 54 minutes so good times how many athletes did they get all together about about, uh, 33 finishes 37 starters Good times, rock and roll. Okay, Jombo, we also had some other great results. Pete Jacobs, now this link didn't work for me, but Matthew no. Bin sent it through saying that Pete Jacobs is finally showing some kind of form. Yeah, so they had the Husky Triathlon over in Australia, which is uh, it's about half distance. I think it's just a slightly funny distance. Um, but was cr- there any field there? Yeah, there was. So Crowey took it out, but only by about a... Uh, it was a minute or so from Pete Jacobs, but you know the, the, the main thing was I was just really pleased to see that Pete had, had actually put a race together where he'd had a good swim, good bike, and uh, he, I mean yes he got outrun by Crowey, but it was still a pretty solid performance. Like Crowey's passed his very best, but he's still pretty good. And, and like when you have Brad, Brad Carterfelt was in third place, so when you're beating guys like that, yes you're not in world title contention sort of form, but it's you know Pete Jacobs has been rubbish at just about every race he's been at so it's just great to see him back on the podium uh, so good is, times is, I wonder which his big race will be moving into the season because the thing for Jacobs is he only has to because he won Kona in 2012 although they'll finish next year for him won't it because you get five years free entry don't you once you've won it oh, they keep changing the rules on that I can't remember but you could you could be right yeah, it like, used to be lifetime yeah I think it's pretty much five well to race as a pro I'm sure mm. you probably get lifetime entry outside of pro once you've won it I'm sure Melina could ring them and say, look, I want to race this year because it's just good for the race. It'll be in the rules, I'm sure, yeah. Yeah. But pretty sure it was five years. So I wonder what he's going to do this year. Well, Matthew Binns, I think, uh, posted on Facebook that I think he's focusing a bit more on the 70.3 Worlds, which is in Australia this year. So maybe just get back to some consistent racing and then uh, hit on back into where he was because, geez, he was a good athlete. Oh, and he was just on that upward trajectory, you know. He just went, you know, like fourth, third, second, then one. It was was always consistently there, wasn't it? You know, like, yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, it'd be great to see Pete back in the sport, you know, back to where he was in his peak a few years ago. So good on you, Pete. Mm. Okay, John's ITU update. 
Well, you asked me last week about all this uh, qualifying and things like that in terms of Braden Curry, who oh, is yep, a New Zealand yep. guy, saying, has he got enough time? And I was just saying, well, he hasn't really got any points, and New Zealand's not in a very good uh, position anyway. We're only going to get two slots. Most likely. So, so here's the sort of the guts of, of how the Olympic qualifying works. It's basically a two-year a two year window, which be began on May 15th, 2014, and then it will finish on May 15th. So in terms of qualify, you, you qualify your country's slots. You, you, individually, you don't qualify slots. So May 15th is sort of the last date for... So everyone in your country races for two years. At the end of that, depending on how well your athletes from your country have performed you're going to get a number of slots for the olympics yes and so the top number of countries get three slots and expand down get uh get two and then then expand so get, that's where get leanne cave felt got screwed eh? because she was like i oh, worked so hard to get the slots for the country and then yep. it's like oh thanks see you later yeah yep. so we've got a several rounds of and that's the, happened a few times isn't it oh there's always australians are always going to court over their <laughs> selections uh so we've got a few rounds of the world championship series so there's abu dhabi gold coast and cape town and then the last one will be yokohama which is on the 14th 15th so that'll be crunch time that week weekend you know it's like right if i finish in this place then we might get three slots so there's still quite a bit of racing to be done in terms of determining how many slots they uh, each country gets there are also automatic slots at all your regional championships a bit like a bit like wtc really um you got the european champs uh, the african games asian games oceania champs and the pan-american games when you say automatic slots these are for the countries people now uh, they are so, but if you've already got three slots, you don't get another slot. Okay. So, it's so the just max a, is three. Yes, the max is three. And you can get one. And you can get one. Okay. Yeah. And so the, you have basically those championship races, a couple of other events, and then it basically goes down the qualificate the, the the points table. And so you just got to get your athletes to be ranked as high as you possibly can. So and there's 55 people on the start line. Uh, they also have the host nation gets one spot, one, one spot, and um, that's pretty much the the guts So then of it. from there, each country has its own rules about how to pick their athletes. Exactly. So like Braden, you're saying he needs more points. Yes. Yeah, so New Zealand, for example, and uh, you have to have a, a certain finish at the World Championships finale. I think it was last year, and Andrea uh, Hewitt achieved that. The other girls didn't, and and, and and I know for, say, Great Britain, they had two races, uh, which was, was it was the World Championship race, and maybe it was Re, uh, the Rio, the test event, I think, and you had to have some crazy high position. Uh, it was like a top five or top three, and I know that they had two girls achieve that, so then they've got one discretionary spot left, and America was pretty much the same. So most countries put these really hard criteria up, as in you must finish in the the, the pinnacle event for that year, like in the top eight or something like that, guaranteed slot. If you don't do that, then it comes down to selective discretion. And what do they do in a situation where people are injured? Let's say like a Brownlee couldn't do those two races. Well, then you hope, that, and that's why they set these criteria so hard, you don't want to mug then managing to sneak in, then it'll come down to selective discretion. So I think the Brownleys, I think... That'd be the two? Yeah, um, they'll be there too, and then they'll have a third one, and then whether they choose a domestique or, or what they do. So they make them really hard. So only guys like, say, the Brownleys and the Molars and things like that, they get they the automatic slots. So like the New Zealand guys did not even get remotely close to reaching that. Um, and if and we that, have two slots, who, who would they go to? At this stage, it almost definitely be Ryan Sissons and Tony Dodds and then but our thirds if, in terms of our reserve um, or we won't get three slots but that's where Braden Curry could potentially sneak in 
but no, we're not going to get three slots. We're not going to get three slots, but one of those guys could get injured. Um, and but Braden Curry's real issue is just going to be getting on the start line because that is done on you know usually based off your rankings. He's going to have to do some smaller races, try to get a, a ranking, and then uh, and then try to get a, a slot into the into these other races. Is one of his biggest problems he's just left it too late. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that is uh, it in a nutshell. First race is coming up. Uh, what about what about in a few what, weeks? What athletes do you think might miss out this year that you would be surprised with? It's too early. Oh, to it's tell. a it's a bit. No, it's a, it's basically the same as um as Kona. You know, you, you get all the best athletes there. No, the ones that miss Maka out. Maka didn't do the Olympics, mate. Yeah. Maka didn't do Sydney. Yeah, he was one of the best athletes. Sydney was different back then. It was a different story because then it became down to. To, so, so, yeah, because that was Mecca was not being a Sydney was wrong, wasn't it? Uh, oh, they just had so back then they just had so many athletes. So who were the three who went to it from Australia? Can you remember? This uh, is a job Cra- test. Come on, Craig Walton. Yes, Miles yeah, Stewart. Was it Peter Robinson? Was it was it was it Mecca the world champion at that, at that moment, or was that two years before? He was ninety seven. Oh, I guess it was a few years before. Yeah, so. But back the then, like Welsh the, thought he was going to get there as well. Yeah, but the girls, like the girls, one year the Aussies had the top. They had the, the three on the podium. I think they may have even had the top five washout yes, of girls at the world champs. And it's like, well, how do we get three people out of that? So, but by and large, you get the best athletes. But you might get somebody who's like the fifteenth best athlete in the world, and they might miss out. So the Poms and the Spanish and the guys like that, they'll they. Yeah, you know, it's not going to be the so best. It's, it's not the best. The second tier. Yeah, it's not the best fifty-five athletes in the world. It's probably the best. 25 athletes in the world, and then the rest uh, sort yeah. of get in. So it's not like a, a, a the better representation is the world championship Exactly. Race. Okay. Yeah. Uh, John's Kona Kim, what about it? I'm uh, just going to mention that we've got a couple of spots left if people want to sign up. So it's a just it's based around uh, the Kona period. starts um, about a week and a half before the race, and you'll get to meet Bevan as well because this show's all about him. That's right. Um, <laughs> this is called Bevan's Talk. Yeah. And... Uh, and it's going to be awesome. So most of the people on the athlete are uh, on the camp uh, are not speedsters. Like we don't have any sort of sub ten hour athletes there, so don't feel like you're going to be too slow. But I do have we've got about sixteen people signed up, so I've got sort Good of two stuff. or three spots left over. Nice, Bevan. You've mentioned a couple of times that you're a bit worried about the IM Talk uh, well, weekend. Well, especially because I'm not going to be doing this marathon because my knee. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, that's oh, no good. I know because I, I basically did, since I've done it, I did no running for a week. And then I've done two little treadmill runs, like 20 minutes, half an hour. It's telling me the idea of doing a marathon on this knee. It's really interesting, actually, because I do group fit. And, like, you know, Body Attack's one of the programs I do. And Body Attack, you, you big plyometric movements, big jumps in there, no problems at all. Yeah. Once I run, yeah. it generates it. So I'm going to try to do another run today. But I'm, my, my, I'm kind of thinking it's not going to happen. Yeah, bugger. Yeah, that's not good. It's training really well. But anyway, tell but, me about it. But... It's right to be worried about the bike ride for that. Oh, really? Really? <laughs> so, oh, great. We're gonna, when you're fit. I'm gonna, we're going to have a couple of options for you guys that are listening in your car coming along. So we did the, the ride on... You on, did the whole thing? Yeah, but then we, we added on another big climb at the end, which that's what toasted me. What, well, uh, you did like 200k, did you? No, we did 100 and, I did 181. Yep. Um, we did the Akira return where you go along the Summit Road and it's a stunning ride. Oh, yeah. We had a clear day, not much wind, and this I saw ride. Your video. I actually thought I'm surprised Steven Spielberg hasn't contacted you this <laughs> week. It was unbelievable. 
It uh, was beautiful, John. Seriously. Yeah, Peter even Jackson. The, bit at, the bit at the end where the camera kind of oh, gets Peter, the ground. It was ground. an effect. It was yeah. an effect. It was drama. But guys, if you want to get on the camp, it's going to be that, that bike ride was was really challenging. And I did add in a big climb at the end, which it, we which did the climb. Did you we come came up? up Cooper's Knob. Oh, um, nice. And so that toasted me a bit. But just an amazingly stunning How ride. Long did it take you? Well, so our, our ride time was seven hours for 181 k's. I think it would be eight and a half. Av- av- that was with the big climb. If it hadn't been that, it would have probably been maybe six and a half, six hours, 40 or something. Because on Friday, I did an hour and 40. And I was, I was fine for an hour and 40, but I was thinking, gee, I'm going to be out there for seven or eight. It was a tough ride. It was great. Mm-hmm. So, yep, sign up, people. It's going to be good times. And then we did the run yesterday, um, which was fantastic. As around. Out, uh, I'm going to be making a little clip of that one too, but this one's actually a bit better. No, uh, sorry, John. But the run we do on the Sunday as well is just awesome. We were doing it yesterday, and it's stunning. Okay, John, but do you want to sponsor us now? I know, I know we're rushing it for time. We'll do this now. Okay, sponsor. We've got a great email from, from Vegan. What's Vegan's nickname? Uh, is it not the Constant Deliverer? I think it was. Yeah. What was that? Someone else. Anyway. For 2016, my fundraiser has to be run an extra mile each day in February with the base of five miles. So day one is one five mile, day two is 5.5 miles, day three is 6.6 miles, day so on and so on to the point where he's going to run 29.29 miles on day 29, which he must be getting pretty close to right now. So I've just finished day 19, meaning I've covered 200 miles so far this month. That means 10 days, and another 245 years to think the last <laughs> It's <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it gets pretty full on to cover details. Now he's got a, he's basically doing this, it's called run-dmd, um, and it's for, it's just giving page, and he's got the goal of raising 5,000 pound, I think it is, and he's, mm-hmm. he's, He's about a K into it now. So if you do, I'm just pulling out that page to see what that is. But he's basically just for, he's giving us an ad and a bit of a plug for what he's doing. So basically just for real life use of X-Endurance, uh, to use a term, I'm cranking it. That's John's term. Yeah. I took eight X-Endurance pills, one immune boost and one Omega per day. I've used this stuff before, but I expect it to be like the walking wounded at this stage, but I'm doing okay. If anything, it's my tendons and my feet that are taking the strain, but the muscles are doing great. I'm plodding along at about an 8.30 to 8.45 mile, but my shout out on last week's show, on this week's show would be cool. So Keep going, vegan. Yeah, so there you go. Just, um, we'll have a link on the, on IamTalk.me, but if you want to help out vegan, he's raising money for um, a cause that really affects him, his, his son. Is that Dushan or? Uh, Dushan. That's good at dystrophy. Yeah, yeah. His, his son affects, so it's really close to home for him and really pushing to try to get more research in that area so others don't have to suffer through this as well. So check it out. We'll have a link there. So great to hear that Extreme Endurance is working um, fantastically well for vegan. And the other person who it's got to be working well for is Matt Russell, who finished third at Challenge Monica at the weekend, and he finished, we call him bloody Captain America, he races in this American sort of uh, gear, he finished, and he looked like he'd just been out for a 5k fun run, oh, and really? he was in, he went in and did an interview with, um, with um, Belinda Granger afterwards, and he was like, he, he hadn't done, like he hadn't done a bloody thing and he's been on Extreme Endurance for a long time and he's going to be doubling up and doing Ironman New Zealand and he had a fantastic run so if you want to be like Matt, Matt Russell and like, I don't think many people want to be like you vegan but uh, if, you, if you want to have those uh, legs of steel like you've got check it out xendurance.com that is a pretty big challenge isn't it mm. Bevan cool. you need to come up with a good discussion of the week this week because my one's crap okay okay last week we didn't get heaps of responses, but we were trying to share the love a bit around 
you know, best shopping websites for you triathletes because we got one sent one through and Bevan and I got a bit frustrated with it because it yeah, was just sign your email yeah, in first and that's yeah, frustrating it is. let me look at your website before you grab my email because we know you're going to spam the crap out of us <laughs> so you know if you're a good website I don't mind getting a bit of spam from you but I've got to judge you before I can give you yeah. my, you know, give you my love. So it was called sportspursuit.com. And first up, Steve Farrell said, Sports Pursuit are great if you're willing to wait a couple of weeks, but at a massive discount. I got a new hub website at a stupid price. Oh, there you go. We also got Peter Mills. He goes, I have run two different tries in cycling clubs. My vote, Champion Systems, ordering gear for 60 members. Had it in just three weeks. Excellent quality. They deliver on their promises. Uh, Mark Dixon was saying Wiggle uh, in the UK, but Wiggle is actually very much global. So for anybody anywhere, um, it's, it's usually free shipping if you spend a certain amount. Uh, and he said that they just do a nice little touch. They put a free Haribo with every delivery. It's the it's little Haribo. things that count. It's like a little chocolate. Just you know, no written. Oh, nice. I got some Wiggle the other day. I didn't get another chocolate. Joe must have. <laughs> Joe opened it. She must have kept the chocolate. Lucy yeah. Francis again in UK. We love Wiggle.com.uk. A wide range of products at good prices and fast deliveries. We can't default them. Uh, She's also mentioned Hilary Biscay's for her smashfestqueen.com. Uh, she's got, I can't resist plugging my friend Hilary Biscay's site for great racing gear, which I wear with pride. Check it out. Uh, Clyde Rosanowski says, R, R and A cycles in Brooklyn are brilliant for bike stuff. Justin Duggan has uh, all three sports, and the number three is there. Uh, the best in the business. Never heard of all three sports. Yep. Uh, another vote for Wiggle from Pierre Anders Eth and Richard Swan. Qualify for the Hawaii Ironman, then go and grab free stuff at the expo. Nice. That's free. Remember that time we did that and we got those bags and we auctioned them off? Oh, we did I too. just got yeah. bags of rubbish. Yeah, we did too. That uh, was quality stuff, quality actually. Quality stuff. Quality stuff. stuff. People bought it. Oh, see, wait a second. All three sports. Oh, no. See, all three sports do it right. They go... You want to save 10% in the next order? Put your email here. There you go. But you can say no thanks and then look at their website. Mm. That's what I want. That's yeah. what I want. Just give, just give me the option. Jonbo, what about you? Um, well, I've for Kiwis Torpedo 7. I, got I wonder if Torpedo top. ships internationally. Don't know. Because some... for some people like the US dollar, yeah. if the shipping's not too bad, it's, because it's it. so cheap. Yeah, I got some tyres for like 57 bucks the other day. They were top quality tyres, like 100 buck tyres, 57 bucks. I was quite happy. Well, that by the warehouse, someone was telling me. But in okay. the group. Uh, interesting. Mm. So that's a my, my only tip. I don't do a lot of shopping, but that's the one that I've used lately. Yeah, to be honest. And Wiggle, I do use Wiggle. Mm. We, like for gels, we get raped in using the gels. That's <laughs> <laughs> insane. Like you're paying like eight, nine bucks a gel if you go to a shop. Yeah. Whereas on Wiggle, you can get them for like two bucks a box, you know, if you yeah. buy a box worth. So Wiggle's really great. So we tend to buy like four or five boxes of gels at one time, and that's a really good solution. Yeah. So there we go. What's that? This discuss? week's discussion, John. I was, I was, I was on slow Twitch. Not in that forum because I just trying to, you know, I love the forum. Mm. And uh, the, the the question was, uh, would you want the Olympic gold or a Kona run? Okay. You know, which which race would you prefer? But I think mm. the better question is, if you could win any race in the world, mm. what would it be? So if you could choose, and, and let's say any sport, okay, or or we'll say triathlon and any sport, okay. So if you could win any race. In the, in the sporting calendar and it has to be an individual sport it can't be a team sport yeah can't be the world soccer world cup no so okay so what would be the race that's a pretty good one eh? mm. yeah great you like that have you got yep. your one sorry you got your one um yep yeah we yep. have a gold yeah newsome imagine that yeah john newsome on the podium name and lights okay. oh he's that guy who does that show with bevan yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay guys uh let's put a pause on because we're going to do an interview 
And we are back, John. We've got an interview coming up right now. Rob Gray. Today. So it's, it's interview interview day today. So Rob Gray, you heard from a couple of weeks ago, he was training up for Ultraman, also talked about how he sort of does low-carb, high-fat, uh, and he went out there and smashed the race at the weekend. So here's Rob. Game on. Righty-ho, guys. A few weeks ago, you will remember we had Rob Gray on the show, who was training up for Ultraman Florida, which is now just finished, and a lot of people were really interested a, in his, his training methods, uh, getting ready for it, but also his nutritional approach to the day. He's been um, sort of going down the low-carb path, but then very much on race day, um, going high-carbs, so... He comes back to us, uh, having us made him walk up a couple of set of stairs to get some hef- headphones. Took him two hours. Uh, took him two hours. We're back, <laughs> and uh, he comes back to us victorious. So, congratulations, Rob, and welcome back to the show. Ah, uh, thanks, guys. It's uh, it's great to be back on, and uh, I think your you know, your your little trip you sent me on up the stairs has helped me recover a little. It's uh, got the blood flowing a bit, even though it did take me a long time to get up there. <laughs> Active recovery, hey? Um, yeah. One thing that I'm really interested to find out about Ultraman, because we've, we've interviewed a few people who have been to um, uh, Kona, but really it's, I'm interested to see what the crowd and the vibe is like at, at a you know, non-Kona event compared to, say, an Ironman um, or, or your local yeah. small triathlon. Uh, so it's, yeah, it's pretty different. Obviously the crowds, the crowds are much smaller. It's not like it takes place in a in a big downtown area or city where there's lots of uh, locals that come out to support. Um, but the vibe is you, there's the, the announcer is a guy called Steve King. Yep, and yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, that guy's such a legend. He's just amazing. He's such a pro. He's yeah. He 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 just speaks at the finish line, and he's uh, you know, he just creates this whole atmosphere that, despite there being not thousands of people there. Uh, he makes it really exciting and really engaging. Um, so you you got a different finish area every day. So that, you know, the first day finished at this. Uh, it's it's like this. It's, it's called the Lone Cabbage Fish Camp or something like that. And it's this place and it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. But there's a restaurant there and there are quite a lot of people. And just with his announcing style, he kind of generated quite a bit of an excitement uh, at the actual finish line and, you know, as well as the start of each day. Um, so I think you know, Steve King himself has, has a, a big part to play in making it you know, much more exciting than it would be if it, if there wasn't someone like him there. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the crews or every, each athlete has a crew and the crews are just amazing because you, you're going along and all the other crews cheer for you as well. So that kind of, uh, gives a, a bunch of, uh, it's similar to crowd support along the whole route because you've got these guys riding along in bands all cheering and hooting and blaring music and it's yeah it's pretty it's pretty fun mm. whereas in an Ironman that you could be you could spend you know, 100 miles of the bike ride with nobody around and you just you just sort of see people if you come in for a lap or at the end uh, it feels like you've got this crowd that's with you the whole time nice so your day was, um, well, no, your days were pretty, pretty successful. Maybe just talk us through um, day one in terms of the the swim bike. Yeah, so day day one was great. I uh, I kind of I, I felt quite a bit of pressure for the swim because this is the this is the third year of Ultraman Florida, and uh, you can choose a swim escort that's a that's kind of a local athlete that will help guide you through and the the race director emailed me a week before saying uh, just to let you know your your swim your swim escort a guy named Brian Gruber 
he's you know, he's led the first out of the water the last two years, so no pressure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was like, man, I've got yeah, this is I've got to, I can't let this guy down and, and have his his perfect record tainted by me swimming slowly. So I had about an extra. You know, I had a week to to do, put in some extra swim mileage, so I didn't let him down. But I did actually. I, I did feel pressured that I didn't want to let this this guy down. Um, but I, yeah, day started off. The water was pretty cold, and so I, I had a full wetsuit. I had booties on as well, nice. and yeah, started off super easy. Just wanted to keep it nice and relaxed. I didn't want to. You don't want to dig deep straight into a ten k swim. And I was in. I was in second place till about three k's. And uh, the leader, uh, this girl named Marcy Gray, uh, she she was wearing a sleeveless suit, and uh, the you know, the water was pretty cold. And we went through a cold patch, and then she actually she got hypothermic and had to be pulled out of the water. So oh, it was wow. yeah. yeah. She actually she actually finished the whole race eventually, but she couldn't. Um, you know, she didn't obviously have an official result because she she had to be pulled out of the water. She spent half the day in, in the in the ER. Uh. So I had a I had good equipment choices. Uh, it was perfect. I wasn't too hot with the booty on. Um, and then, yeah, of course, I was in the lead. Then, and what's it was just such a beautiful, peaceful swim because it's not like an Ironman where you have a hundred people trying to drown you and kick you and uh, you know, provide that that tension that you normally have at an Ironman race. It was just it was this nice, calm water at least for the first four or five k's. And you don't have to sight either because I just you know, this this uh, awesome. Ninja kayak swim escort that I have, he just he just knows he knows the course backwards, and uh, yeah, he he could just he just paddled and he knew the he knew the best line to take, and I, I didn't have to think about anything. I just I would just keep him on my right hand side, where is which is where I breathe, and I would just follow him. I'd stay you know, maybe two meters to his to his left the whole time, uh, between two and five meters, and just keep him. He would he would guide me, and then. I would just have to swim, so it was a very peaceful experience, and I only really started uh, digging in a little bit deeper when I when I had roughly four k's to go because that's a known entity to me. I've you know, I've done a, a couple of Ironman swims before. Um, I could push a little bit harder once I had uh, three or four k's to go. So, uh, so I know your initial strategy though when you we come out of the swim when we talked a few weeks ago was you were going to try to. Push the bike at least at Ironman effort, if not a, if not above. So when you came out of the swim, how were you sort of feeling, and and did you manage to execute that plan on the bike? I, I was very wobbly coming out the water when you've been swimming. <laughs> I, so I executed. I was first out of the water in I think two hours forty eight, uh, which is a long time to be swimming. And I just I just walked up the ramp and and took my time, got on the bike. Uh, I I purposefully I, I think I changed my day one strategy a little bit because I was. Uh, you know, week Friday, a week from the race, I I came down with uh, this terrible. I got hit by flu really badly, and I was I was literally in bed from Friday evening through to Sunday evening. I couldn't even move, and I was I was pretty concerned going into the race that I that if I wasn't hundred percent recovered, that I was going to do some damage to my body. So I, I I particularly wanted to go very easy on day one just to allow my body to recover a bit more. So that that changed my day one strategy. I was I was fortunate enough that I was, you know, I had flu for like three days, and then I, I started to feel better. And even the day before the race, I still had I wasn't feeling a hundred percent. And then just taking it super easy on day one really helped me to to get that full recovery and be strong for day two. So I got on the bike. I purposely kept it very 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 light, 
um, I took a, t- a wrong turn or pretty much you know, within the first two miles just because I, this, your brain, when you swim for that long, your brain's just a little bit foggy and I didn't, uh, I didn't quite follow what I was meant to be doing. So you know, I lost a few minutes there, but it was, it was still pretty relaxed because I wasn't trying to push hard. So it, it wasn't very stressful, even though that happened. Um, yeah, and it was, I kept the effort easy in terms of the, you know, how much power I was outputting. But it was very windy, so the weather conditions actually made it. It was a very tough day. So even though I rode easy, it was one of the toughest ninety-mile bike rides I've, I've ever done, yeah. um, just because of the wind. It was very windy. And so you fin- you finished day one. What what's your your sort of recovery strategy? And then uh, talk us through day two. Yeah. So the advantage of getting of getting back and finishing sooner is you have a recovery window advantage over the other athletes. So uh, as soon as I Soon as I got got back, I had, or soon as I got to the finish line, my crew was waiting for me with the the recovery meal that I had prepared. So I basically had a like a whole a whole bowl, like this huge bowl of rice, basically. Um, and I didn't feel like eating it all, but I just kind of forced it down, and I had some liquid nutrition as, as well. So I just made sure that I, I I literally just ate as much as I possibly could, just to try and get a window on on recovery for the next day. And then I had. I had uh, an, yeah, another two or three meals after that, so I just I really focused on getting the fuel in uh, post day one, and then I I was sitting in the van on the way back. It was there was about a forty five minute drive back to the hotel after day one, and I had my Normatec boots plugged in. I was just like I was just sitting there with the with the boots going, feet up, eating eating rice all the way back uh, back to the hotel, nice. and then spent the afternoon in the pool in the hot tub just just chilling out. Nice. So roll on day two. Um, I saw the result at the end of day two. I was on Facebook and saw that you'd built up a lead of I think it was about fifty six minutes or something like that. Um, yeah. And I thought I oh, should. I knew your run was not your strongest part of the day, but I thought it might you'd, you'd be uh, home and hosed after that. But you yeah, talk us through that bike ride and 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 how how things went versus um, sort of how you expected it to go. Okay, so I, I kind of knew how day two was going to start. Um, my uh, my neighbor in Boulder, Billy Edwards, actually won. He won Ultraman Florida last year, so I had some good insights from him as to how things might go down. Um, and he said that the day was going to start pretty easy uh, because basically everyone rides. There's a there's a no drafting or there's a there's a zone for like the first three miles where everyone's together because you, you you start side by side, two by two riders in the order that you finished in before. Um, so you're kind of riding in pairs and. You, 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 the draft zone only starts being enforced after about three miles. So it usually starts pretty easy, and then people kind of start jostling around for position. But because I was right in the front, I could just I just went hard right from the beginning. So I, I got on the bike, and I was just uh, I, I basically rode at half Ironman effort for the first two and a half hours. Um, so I was riding pretty hard, just trying to open up an extra gap because I, I just wanted a, a a better cushion than the I think I had 28 minutes after day one or 20 something minutes and I just I I knew I needed a little more for the run Um, so I was just trying to ride really really hard and it was comfortable so I I felt like it was sustainable and then about two and a half hours in my uh, my aero pad snapped off so I was I was in aero position next thing the, the pad just fell off which is which is crazy like stuff like that never happens I guess unless you're in a race yeah. and uh, so I was riding without a, a pad for a little bit. And my crew vehicle was just ahead of me, 
And luckily they were still within visibility. So I, I had these bright yellow gloves on and they, they managed to see me waving. And they, they had a spare bike there, so they took one of the pads off that and tried to uh, repair it. But it was the, the hole that the bolts went to seemed to be stripped, so we couldn't get another pad in there. So I had to do a full bike change, uh, which you're only allowed to do once. You can't just swap a bike whenever. Like once you swap bikes, that's it. You can't, uh -huh. you can't go back to your old one again. So those guys, uh, luckily I had two, two of the guys from Diamond Bikes on my crew, and they, they actually built my bike, so they, they kind of know what's going on. We had an identical bike waiting. And so it only took them five minutes. We swapped over all the nutrition and the Garmin and all that stuff. And uh, I only lost five minutes with that um, with that mechanical changeover, and then yeah, I continued the rest. That was a, that must have been at about sixty or seventy k's into the into the bike, and then I, I rode the rest on the on the new bike that I'd never ridden before. Nice. Um, but it was kind of yeah, it, it, it was kind of nice. after that. I didn't have a power meter or anything, and that kind of I felt like it, it let me off the hook a little. And I could relax because I didn't have to think about power or anything like that. I could just ride totally by feel. Uh, so I eased off a little bit, and then uh, yeah, the, the David, the guy behind me, was he maintained a pretty good, uh, a pretty close gap. So when I I was about twenty miles from the end, you go into these big hills. I was just done with the big hills, and I went past Steve King, who was announcing at that point. And I think we we had about twenty miles to go, and, and my gap was eleven minutes at that stage. And I knew then that I had to really just dig deep for that final bit. So this was between miles 150 to 271. I just had to really give it all my effort and try to open that gap a little more. So I rode, I rode pretty hard that last, that last 20 miles. And, uh, yeah, it was, I, the, I, I managed to create a, you know, another 10 minutes on top of that in the, in the very last part of that race. And I, the next day I was very grateful that I'd done that because I, I needed every one of those minutes. But the, the final three miles of that, bike ride on day two was just it was a very dark place it was just it was like a it felt a bit like when you bonk and you run out of nutrition on a on a training ride but just much 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 deeper I, I couldn't really see in front of me it was like I had I could I could see about two meters in front of me and I, I wasn't very aware of what was going on around me and I was just kind of turning over the pedals trying to get there but it it was like that was the longest 5k's of my life was trying to get to that finish line <laughs> nice. on day two so in terms of your nutrition though as you went through the day you talked about your post-race nutrition um, on day one but what about actually how you were fueling yourself as you went through through that whole second day yeah so I, it was pure uh, liquid nutrition so I had I prepared my own mix of uh, maltodextrin and fructose powder that I prepare in a blender and then I just flavored it. So on, on day on day one, it was mainly um, uh, tart cherry juice, which is it's kind of like a sour juice, and it, it, it counteracts the sweetness of the powder quite nicely. But I was I was kind of sick of that after day one. So day two was ginger beer. So it was ginger beer mixed with that other stuff. And then uh, I was I was having just pure coke towards the end, as that they would that my crew was giving me. So we, I just had ten bottles packed in a in a cooler, and my crew knew that every you know, every hour or so they just had to give me another bottle. I would just refill it, and then I, I'd like this torpedo bottle that's refillable. So I just grab a bottle, refill it, and toss the bottle. And yeah, those guys figured it out pretty well. They, it was they had a whole system, and everything was the same. So I didn't need I didn't change my nutrition up at all, which meant it was simple for them to be able to make decisions to what to give me and. Uh, I had I, in my bento box. I had some of these 
uh, cola power shots. It's like a little like a little gel chew, mm-hmm. and that was, that was pretty nice. Uh, so I had some of that as well. And that that was it for my nutrition. So, so day three, I've just had a reasonably big work training weekend, and then yesterday I went out for a long run in the afternoon, and um, my God, my legs were just felt like rubbish. So often we get off the bike in Ironman, and our legs, are, they're tired, but they're not often super sore. But it's a different story when you've um, when you've had you know half a day to for all that um, for the doms to sort of start to kick in. So yeah. how did you feel going into the run, and, and talk talk us through how the run panned out? So at the at the beginning of the run, my legs my legs actually felt okay. You know, it, fe- it felt like I'd gone for a long ride before the day before, which I had, but it wasn't. They weren't sore uh, at the start of the run, and it was it was kind of interesting because I knew I had this fifty six minute lead, um, but I knew that David was a the run is actually his strength. This this guy's done like a bunch of uh, you know ultras. He's done. He did this thing, which is seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. Mm-hmm. You start in Antarctica, and then you do a whole bunch of other. So he's so he's done a lot of running, and running is really his strength. And uh, he, yeah, I, we ran for I don't know, probably about half a, half a k at the beginning. We were all together, and then he just took off. And my, uh, I, I felt good. I I I specifically planned. I remember I said I said to you guys on the last uh, podcast. I think I could run maybe just under eight hours so I knew I had to run at a pace of roughly you know, nine minutes a mile to, in order to do that so I just I started from the beginning with that target pace in mind I didn't run any faster than that and then it was just up to uh you know we just wait and see what unfolded and, and see how fast this other guy ran uh, so at, at 10 so over 52 miles I had 56 minutes to lose and at mile 10 he had he was 10 minutes ahead at that point so he was <laughs> So it was like it was mentally it was pretty tough. So we were like, okay, well let's just manage this. If we can keep this gap the same, then we're going to be good. Um, but then, the, but there's zero room for error, pretty much. Yeah. And it's and it, you know it's not like this guy is just some random guy who went out too hard. He like he he's done this a million times before, and he knows how how to pace himself. So I, I thought if anyone was going to make a mistake, it would be me and not him. Um, so I just had to be super conservative and just. You know, get through any of the rough patches. Then we went through when we went through the marathon mark, the first marathon. I think I went through in about three three fifty eight. So I, I was on track for my own target of going eight hours, uh, but he had a twenty seven minute lead on me wow. at that point. So we were kind of managing the gap, and it was you know, if, he, if if everything continued exactly like that, um, with no room for error, then I would have. Yeah, I would have won by a minute or something like that, which just it felt a little too close to comfort to really bank on all that happening. Um, so it was it was pretty tough mentally after that because you you've just run a marathon, you're starting to hurt pretty badly. Like 28 miles, I, my quads were starting to 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 hurt quite a lot, but there was just no option for me to slow down or uh, you know or stop or stretch out or anything. I just I just had to keep on going. And and I used a run walk strategy, the, I, the the John Newsom patented nine nine to one walk run to walk ratio. I used quite a lot of yeah, yeah. Royalty's coming in next week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I just used that until I could, until it didn't work anymore, which was pretty pretty close to the end actually. Um, so I used run walk, and I used the terrain as well. So if it was a downhill, I didn't stop and walk. I would just walk at the next uh, the next uphill section for. Or twenty or thirty paces, 
Um, yeah, and it was right. Yeah, having a having a crew there is really critical. I mean, my crew was just amazing. I had I had Kevin Cody with oh, me, and Kevin, yeah, Kevin. Yeah, yeah he's. Uh, it's really valuable having someone that knows you really well as an athlete. He, he coached me to my, um, you know, to all my Kona qualifications, and he yeah, he knows me as an athlete really well. So I, he was just when he was pacing me, he was like telling me exactly what he like run here, do this, like use the downhills. We're gonna walk here for twenty seconds. So I didn't have to think. I just list, do whatever he told me, listen to him, and um, yeah, and he, and he really helped. You know, manage manage a lot of this run walk plan and and based on the terrain and where we were, and you know, the other the other critical thing for him is, um, you know he knew this time gap was narrowing, and you know, he he had this decision obviously to just you know, he has to decide whether to tell me to push harder or to, uh, but not to push too hard so that I blow myself up. So he's got to say exactly the right thing to me at the right time. Um, which he did, which was very, it was very valuable to have that uh, because I, w- I was feeling great at about 33 miles and I, I started running a bit faster. But basically the, the job of my crew was to get me to run fast enough but not so fast that I blew up. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they did an amazing job at that. And it, it was, wait, what, you know, when you've been running for that long, it's just good to have people that just you know, tell you what to do, where to run. They can, they can take all the thought process out of it so you don't waste mental energy on having to make decisions yourself. Oh, it's fasc- so, fascinating that it was, uh, it was coming down you know, at the exact rate that it needed to be. But yeah, you hung on in the end. Um, and from what you said in the email, you, you managed to negative split the run and, uh, and hold yeah. on by eight minutes. Yeah, it was. I, I was just from from mile forty onwards. It was you know, mentally, it started being easier because I knew I just had to focus for twelve and a half more miles. And of course, if you've you've done that in training a million times, so even though you you feel like your legs are about to explode, you can just you can just sort of take it one mile at a time and just focus. So you know, from that from yeah, from sort of mile forty-five onwards, I was just I stopped doing run walk because every time if I did walk and I tried to start running again, it would be I would be in a world of pain. So mm-hmm. I just I just stayed running, uh, and I just kept I yeah, I just I kept trying to run about, about thirty seconds per mile faster. So I was aiming for like between eight thirty to eight forty-five pace, no walking, and just and just pushing through. So it was it was mentally very taxing because I just had to I just had to focus and. Focus on not slowing down, not walking, not stopping anything, and just pushing through that final bit. Mm-hmm. And yeah, managed managed to get through with with just eight minutes to spare, um, which was I've, I've never had a. It, it, it was an, it's amazing to have a race like this where you you know the the distance itself is something that was a big it, kind of a new boundary for me. I've never run more than fifty k's really before, and the the mental aspect that I had to that I had to go through in order to make the win happen was something that's uh, I, yeah, I've never experienced that before as well. So that was a great learning to have to go through that and and hold on. Um, it was basically a decision at, at mile thirty. I knew that I could win it as long as I decided to 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 be the master of my own destiny and 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 really make it happen. It was very tempting just to take it easy. That you're so tired at that stage, you, it would be easy just to accept second and. And take it easy for the rest rest of the the race, but it was a it was a, a choice I had to make every single mile from mile thirty onwards was uh, the choice to win or not was was happening right then. So it, looked, it sounds like it went you know bloody well and um, 
pretty much to, to plan other than that first day when you took it a little bit easier. So was there anything yeah. that um, that sort of surprised you? Or you know, obviously there's dark spaces on, on every day, but um, yeah, that would kind of be expected. Was there anything that did sort of uh, blow you away or, or surprise you a bit? Uh, you know, I was, I, I, I was, well, I was surprised that I did manage to, it, it, it's, it's basically like I, I managed to execute the pacing on the double marathon perfectly. And, and that surprised me because I'm, uh, I'm not experienced at doing that. So it was, I had a rough idea of what I thought I could do. And, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a good track record of, of executing what I think I can do. But I think maybe over the maybe in my old age the wisdoms come along and I and I set more realistic expectations. Mm. Um, but I yeah the 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 pacing on the run and the, the 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 fact that I was able to hold on did did surprise me. I did, I didn't think I'd be able to do that. And um, yeah, I, I think I've learned a lot to for for future for future ultraman races. And yeah, I think the run the run prep and the run training is going to be critical. Because the, those guys in Hawaii are, they just they just animals. They, they, the run course record in Hawaii is something like um, it's under six hours. I think it's mm-hmm. it's uh, what is it? Oh, it's five hours thirty three. Peter Cotland. <laughs> so if a, if a Peter Cotland turns up in Hawaii, <laughs> there's like even with a if if I'm in the same run shape as now, even if I have a, like a two hour gap, there's, that's not going to be good enough. <laughs> So I really have to focus on the run and and make sure I can I can execute. I've got to be in shape to run about an hour to an hour and a half a half faster. <laughs> Just an hour, uh, an hour and a half, not much. No worries. Yeah. So um, uh, it doesn't look like to me when I look through the triathlon websites that anybody's picked up on this one. Um, firstly, what do you actually get for winning a race like this? Is it more just a trophy? Uh, and also, has anybody sort of picked up on it? Um, so I'm hoping I get a trophy. It's the, the award ceremonies tonight. All I've got is a medal. It's a nice medal, but I'm mm. hoping there's a trophy as well because, nice. uh, I've got it. My four year old son, every, every time I go on a training run, uh, a training ride, uh, he asks me where I'm going and I say, I'm going, I'm going on a training ride, Tyler. And then he, he says, why are you going on a training ride? Then I explain, I say, cause I want to be the winner. And he says, are you going to get a trophy? I say, yes, yes, I'm going to get a trophy. But every, literally every time I get back from a training ride, he, want, he comes and asks me where, where the trophy is. Nice. So if I return without a trophy, he's going to be, he's going to be pretty upset about this. Uh, so I, ho- I hope there is a trophy. Yeah, um, uh, yeah Slow Twitch. Uh, yes, I've, I've done an interview with, uh, with Herbert at Slow Twitch. So that should be up there yeah. um, maybe either today or tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and then... Yeah, Facebook. There's a lot of. There's. I mean, I've I've received tons of messages on Facebook and stuff like that. That's uh, my. When I got to the end, my phone was exploding with notifications. So nice. Uh, yeah. So it's uh, it's oh. been picked up in some of the niches, but not you know nothing mainstream. And uh, yeah, of, of course, it's picked up in slow twitch. Fantastic. Uh, and if people want to follow, obviously, your journey on to, to Kona now, and if you do any sort of post race reports, where's the best place for them to to catch your news? Okay, so I'll uh, I'll post my race report on my website, which is robgray.org. I'll uh, post any Ultraman specific stuff on a. I've got a dedicated Facebook page, which is facebook.com/roboultra. That's R-O-B-O Ultra, and I'll I'll just use that same page through to uh, how I prep for Hawaii and stuff like that. Um, those are the two best ways. On Twitter, I'm just Rob Gray. That's R-O-B-G-R-A-Y, and 
yeah, right now I'm just going to, I've got to get a bit faster because my next race will be the Boulder 70.3, so I have to you know, get rid of, awesome. yeah, I've got to, got to get some speed back. Awesome. No, it was great hearing uh, doing a pre and post race interview to sort of see how it all panned out. And I know there's lots of athletes out there that are contemplating Ultraman somewhere along the way. So thanks for sharing your experiences. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to following you over in Kona. Yeah, thanks, guys. Great to speak to you. Good stuff. John, your thoughts? Pretty impressive execution. And uh, it's, it's like a Tour de France race, like when they had uh, Fignon versus Greg LeMond, and it was just like coming down second by second, and you knew that when it came to the finish line, it was going to be very, very close. That run sounded epic when you were losing exactly the amount of time yeah. you had in the bank. You'd be crapping yourself. It's nice pressure, but isn't it? Yeah. You know, like it's kind of what you want as an athlete, because ultimately I think we all want to the, that moment where we are best, and those high-pressure moments when you perform in them, they're pretty rewarding, aren't they? Yeah, so fantastic work, Rob. Do you want a new sponsor now? No, next up we've, uh, we're, we'll have Dougal Allen. So we had a reasonably short chat with him. He won Challenge Wanaka at the weekend. And, uh, yeah, really nice outlook on it. Yeah, good guy. Here we go. Okay, guys, following on our sort of Challenge Wanaka theme today, we have the champion of the race. It course was, record holder. Course record holder. Statistically was predicted to happen, but it came through according to, to Torsten's statistical analysis. So his name's Dougal Allen. He's from New Zealand, and he's actually the hometown hero of Wanaka. So welcome along to the show, Dougal. Thanks, guys. You're the man about town right now, aren't you? Yeah, I sort of um, I feel a bit famous um, the last couple of days, but... It'll settle down, I'm sure. Watch out for that paparazzi, it ruins it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, um, it, it, we, we, I was watching a little clip with Sebastian Keenlay the other day and he was saying when he goes to, to Kona, you know, it's all in. He's, he's yeah, I'm, I don't, some people, to, to, they get into the race and they go, okay, I'm, I'm okay here, I'm going to finish in the top five. But he says, you know, I'd rather take a risk and be all in and win or nothing. So going into the race this year, you know, you had a second place last year. Was, was your attitude um, sort of, I want to win this race almost at all costs, or were you just going out there to basically, you know, do the best that you could? Oh, I was, I was still following a plan, I guess, and, and I had a bit of a strategy in place, but at the end of the day, you do have to take risks, don't you, to win these races, especially in um, good fields like there was at Wanaka. So, um, yeah, there were times where I was probably just pushing a bit harder than, than I'd previously planned to, but... As I say, you sort of hope um, those risks pay off, and for me, they they did on Saturday. So, so you, you swim. Lots of people comment on your swim, and you certainly improved it a lot this year. You know, last year it was like fifteen minutes or something behind Dylan. This year it was 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 ten minutes. Um, has your swim been a big focus for you? Like, have you really worked very hard on it, or has it just sort of been a bit of a, a steady progression through the year? Oh, I've definitely. Third challenge Wanaka in a row, and and every year I've stepped it up with my swimming. Um, but I mean, I haven't gone crazy on it. I don't go too crazy on anything, to be honest, because I I work part time and with the family and stuff. I I my biggest training week for challenge Wanaka was about 23, 24 hours. So um, the swimming, I the biggest change I made this year was I got a swim specific coach, um, a guy called Jeremy Duncan down in Invercargill. Yeah. And uh, and that that was the real difference, I guess. Every session had a purpose, and um, and and I was pushing myself hard, but I guess within reason too. There were still bike rides and runs to do as well. 
coming out of the swim, you know, you had a good swim this year. I remember last year you were saying you kind of worked hard on your swim, you didn't get any gains last year, but this year you did get those gains. But it's a completely different game for someone like you who is coming out of the swim on the back foot. So what's kind of your mindset coming out of the swim leading onto the bike? Um, very process-focused. Everything I do in those races, I try and stay in the moment. Um, I'd be lying if I said I did 100% of the time, but coming out of the swim, it's really just um, what I'm doing at that time. So I wanted to have a really quick, smooth transition and minimise any time lost through that part of the race, get on the bike, and then, yeah, just straight into my work there. So I hear, I do hear the time splits, and uh, and they, I, I do factor them in, but... Um, yeah, I just try and keep doing whatever I'm doing as well as I can at the time. Um, um, so if you're out there doing a, a course, you know, say a, a flatter course, I think you did Ironman Sweden last year, you know, it's pretty easy to, to lock on to a, a power range and stuff and just settle in. Um, obviously this year with the conditions in Wanaka, it was, uh, it was pretty windy and pretty brutal by the sound of it. How did you sort of pace yourself through the ride in terms of power output and things like that? Um, were you actually using your power meter or because of the conditions did you just kind of need to ride by feel? Um, there was a bit of, yeah, I had four views in front of me on my bike computer. So I had um, elapsed time and really that was more for my nutrition. I, I had um, sort of a plan to eat and drink at certain times um, and I had my heart rate, my power and my cadence. So I was sort of referencing all of those, but um, as you say, power, you've sort of got to take it in context, and especially when you're on a, an undulating course and when the wind's blowing the way it was, it was actually more the heart rate stuff I was paying closer attention to. So I had a good first 60 and a good last 60, but I had a bit of a tough middle 60K on the bike, and uh, I'm not... 100% sure why it could have been nutrition it could have been going up too hard initially but um, my heart rate and power did start to drop through that middle section so um, yeah in those conditions I guess I was really just trying to um, stay focused and, and try and keep those numbers up. In, in terms of your run you know it looked like a, a pretty just a good strong steady day at the office a, a split of 257 had you um, hoped to go quicker than that, or were you stoked with that? Um, how did you sort of feel about, about your run, or were you sort of running um, just, just to win the race once you got in front of uh, Make 12 sick? Yeah, the run, the Challenge Monica run is quite interesting. I, I, Obviously living here, I know the run well, but you never really see fast times on the current run course. The run course has changed since the um, the, the course record for the run is 248, and I'd I'd be surprised to see that get broken on the current course um, unless, you know, one of the big names of the sport showed up. It could be possible, but a 257 I was pretty happy with. I My first split, my first 21K was 125, and uh, and I wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't have done that on the second lap as hard as I'd tried, but I was given the luxury, I guess, of having a bit of a buffer with about sort of six six or seven K to go when I when I heard that I had about eight minutes, I guess you still think you're pushing yourself, but really you just you've probably lost that little little extra edge that you need to sort of run a really good fast run. So I think the fastest run of the day, Matt Russell did about two fifty five and and that's pretty competitive on that run I reckon. So I was happy. Two fifty seven I'll take that. 
Oh, we've talked to Richard Usher um, before, and who else has done Coast to Coast and Iron Man? I think maybe Braden, uh, Braden Curry as well. Um, how, do, how do you sort of contrast your day out there in Wanaka with um, with Coast to Coast? Oh, very different. I the Coast to Coast um, is just it's such a tough day out mentally and physically. You spend a lot of time alone. Um, you're just you're very isolated at times on that river. You feel like you're, you know, you if anything goes wrong, you're probably never going to see a human being again. <laughs> um, it's just a real different experience. And and before I even started my first challenge, Wanaka, the summer I spent training for it, I just had the suspicion that for me it was going to be a better style of racing. I, it's just a you know a more of a consistent load on the body. You just go out and you just um, hold that load and put up with it for eight or nine hours. Whereas with the coast to coast, it's ever changing. Muscle groups are always changing. You're fumbling your way through the mountain and the run and leaping from rock to rock. And um, for me, I just, I, when I look back on both races, I, I feel my, my personal kind of strengths and weaknesses probably lend favour more towards Challenge Wanaka than the coast to coast. Well, what's it like to win it? Because I know, you know, you've worked really hard at this race and I know, you know, you know, in this week's show, I've got what, 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 one of our questions is which race would you want to win in the world the most? And I'm sure obviously winning Kona would be pretty exciting for you. But outside of Kona, I imagine this race has been the one that you've always wanted to win. So A, when did you know you had it and and what was it like to actually have that experience? Yeah, I, the first part of that question it's, it's going to be pretty hard to escape any cliches because um, it, it's so true that you just don't know that you've really got it in the bag until you cross the finish line. Um, and I, I guess I, I was pretty confident I had it, as I say, with about six or seven K to go, the old left hamstring started to cramp a bit and um, I asked for a split back to second and by that stage it was seven or eight minutes. But the fact of the matter was my left hamstring was cramping and if, if that had set the whole body into cramp, then it could have been game over. So I didn't really know I truly had the, the race in the bag until I hit the main street of Wanaka with about 500 metres to go and, and that's when sort of the emotions came through because um, it's it was definitely a race I wanted to win, but it was also the fact that I just wanted to win um, a big race because you mentioned coast to coast before and I've had three runner-ups there. Um, I shifted across to this race and had a third and then a second and even events like the God Zone that I've dabbled at and um, in Ironman Sweden and things, it, it just seemed like runner-up was about as good as it was going to be for me. So, um, <laughs> yeah, really it was just to prove to myself that um, there was no kind of mental barrier to stepping up and actually getting a victory in a big race. So... It was a huge relief. So what's, what's, the, what's the plan now? You know, you've um, you've won this race. Obviously, your swim, because you're not you know as competitive in the swim, it probably restricts you to really sticking to Ironmans rather than half Ironmans um, in terms of being competitive at a professional level. Um, what's your sort of plan now? You sort of mentioned that you, you work part-time, but are you sort of looking to take on the world and do Ironmans and maybe Kona, or what's your sort of, what's your outlook? Well, it's, um, I'm probably a little bit guilty at this stage of being a bit short-sighted, I guess. Um, um, I haven't thought too far ahead. 
Um, the plan at this stage is to go up to Taupo um, and just have a little dabble at that race next weekend. Um, <laughs> nice. But um, I've, I've entered Ironman Australia in Port Macquarie on the 1st of May and, and uh, I'll, I'll try and sort of keep the momentum moving towards that race and, and race well there if I can. Um, but beyond that, I haven't really thought to be fair about races. I've got a, a work commitment um, to go to North America for a month in June, July, which is probably pretty bad timing for a professional iron distance athlete because, you know, Challenge Roth would be one I'd love to sort of go and do. And even if it was something like Kona, then you don't really want to be having time off in June, July, where a lot of the athletes are sort of getting a lot of their peak mileage done. So um, it's just the fact of the matter is I've got a few extra things that I juggle and um, and I don't resent them at all. I, I love the fact that I've got a lot of um, facets to my kind of professional life and my family life and stuff and uh to win challenge Wanaka was a huge heart given the given the sort of the things that I throw in the mix on a daily basis but um when you when you're talking races like Kona you just you can't afford to um factor too much else into your life really than training and uh, and the guys that do well there uh are obviously over there and they're acclimatizing and they're spending time um, familiarising with the course and all the rest and, and to be honest I just don't have the um, I guess the sponsorship or the lifestyle that would afford me to go and, and throw as much into a race like that as I know I'd need to to do any good so I'll um, I'll have a bit of a think about what's next but at this stage it, it won't be anything too major like Kona or Challenge Roth so, so what does motivate you then you know because you're saying you're kind of in a sticky position where it's kind of like I don't have the life that allows me to commit to that next level but I kind of enjoy my life as well so it's not that much of a kind of criticism of that but it's um but I I obviously need a challenge so what <clears throat> what are the real motivators for you um the motivators have changed over the years I guess and and right now I guess the motivator for me is um my family, like they, they really, uh, my wife Amy and my son Flynn, well, he's only 16 months, so he's probably not too sure what's going on, but um, they've sort of changed my outlook a little bit in recent years. And with Flynn, it's for me, it's about setting an example to him and really just um, hopefully having him grow up watching dad sort of just chase his dreams and work hard towards certain goals and things. So that's kind of my present motivator, but. Um, I mean, my background in multi-sport and adventure racing is um, just that. Those are that those are sports where there's never a, a financial incentive, I guess, to do well because um, you know the sports just don't fund that sort of professional life. So um, I haven't come into this iron distance racing with an incentive to um, pay my mortgage through the sport. Although that's that's a bonus, and um, I'm pretty stoked with the. <laughs> cash flow from Saturday that sort of looks after things for the next sort of year of paying off the house but it's um it's more just passion for the um the the lifestyle that you live when you're training for these big events and I guess I'm not really too different in a lot of ways to the age groupers in that in that way as you know I I love to train and if I wasn't doing these races I'd still want to be out riding a bike and running I probably wouldn't be in the pool swimming but <laughs> yeah 
Awesome. Hey, well, no, we're looking forward to seeing uh, seeing how you double up in Taupo. You know, there's obviously a crew of you doing that with uh, with Dylan, yourself, Matt Russell. I know Joe Skipper didn't um, didn't finish, but uh, yeah, you, there should be some some beers on the line in terms of uh, who can have the best combined time. And now, uh, did you end up doing the hacker that you apparently said you were going to do? Well, um, I told everyone that that would happen at the after party, and um, and I was sort of doing that hoping it would draw a bit of a crowd towards the after party so those that showed up to the after party might be able to answer that question for you right okay great <laughs> awesome oh well, no, we're impressed that you're out there. i just see some photos on facebook of a lot of drinking from the after party so i'm, I'm assuming it happened um we uh yeah it's fantastic to have that that hometown victory and i'm very impressed that you're out there working this morning doing a strength and conditioning class um but, uh, you know, we're really looking forward to seeing how you go in, in Taupo and setting that bike course alight. So thanks very much for your time. And if people want to, to follow what you do, um, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, I've got the usual Twitter, Instagram, Facebook sort of stuff going on with um, an athlete page and things. But I've also got a website, which is basically just com. So it would be great if people could head along there and, and see what I'm about. Cool. <laughs> Fantastic. Awesome, mate. Love your work. Awesome training for the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing seeing how things pan out in Taupo. Yeah, thanks, guys. Great to be on the show. Thanks, mate. I think the most impressive thing, well, there's lots to be impressed with. A, he's a good example of a guy who's just worked at it, isn't he? Mm. You know, like third, second, and as you're saying in the interview, that kind of thing of, will I ever win one of these things, you know? Mm. And there's a lot of athletes who, of his stand, like, like a Gordo, who raced for years, never got that win. Yeah. And uh, so it was great for him to see it. But to also get the course record, mm. you know, A, mm. on a tough day, mm. but to get a course record really kind of shows, no, I deserve this. So it's not like no one else turned up or yeah, it was a good everyone field. else cracked. It's actually, yeah. I, I beat a good field and I got that record. Yeah. So, so fantastic effort. Do the sponsor now? Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. I'm losing my voice, Sean. You talk. We, we were out riding the weekend with the Holy Hammer and the Philinator, and the Holy Hammer had these new bike shorts on and called La yeah. Race. There's a race he's going to do. And, and then some other guy, he was, he was saying, oh, yep, I did La Race back in whatever year it was. And Phil said, no, you didn't. You did it in... Uh, 2008 or 2009. Phil memorised it. Phil memorised it. Because he said, remember you had that crappy tapo. Well, not not crappy tapo. You had a good, I think it was a good tapo. You had a good tapo and then he went on and did the race or something like that. Murray said, oh, you might be right. And I said, you can go check that out on Athletics. And so Murray, the Holy Hammer, keeps all his stuff up there. He went back and he said, yeah, I did actually do that. And you forget about what year things are in. So, A, you can check, keep all your results up there and uh, go back and reminisce because our memories do get a bit hazy. hazy, Especially when you're 10 years down the track. And the other thing you can do, once you're logged into Athlinks, you just click on the athletes up in the top right corner and then you can go through there and then you can lay the smack down on all the people so you can sort all your race performances against people um, when you go head to head. So I can click head to head and it'll tell me that if I go by say race count head to head then Jeepers John K Robinson has done 924 races wow that's impressive impressive. and it tells me when I've raced him um, my win loss record and it'll basically go up against every person that's on Athlinks that you've raced against and it'll tell you your win loss record where it was and so on so especially if you've got a little competitive group of athletes locally or maybe in your your sort of 
country then you can actually lock it in here and see what your win loss record is and if you're getting slower and then get faster you can at least remember the good old days oh the good old days and let's be honest the older you get the more you lose your memory that's right so when you get really old those people in the 50s yeah john k <laughs> robinson 924 races remember all those so there you go so that, that's incredible that's incredible guys if you want to keep a history of your record and remember it's the thing you need to do as you're racing because mm. you're older you forget like oh, i can't remember the races i did no and, and you've always been really disciplined with things and i never was well, i wish i just wish this was around in the 90s i'd have loads of great oh. memories because there are a lot of races there that i've forgotten about um so athletes if you can somehow retrospectively go back and figure out how to get the results from back in the past get the time machine get the, from the, the, the delorean yeah. yeah and then uh, i'll be happy Done, done, done. Okay, guys, earthlinks.com. We've got our last one for you coming up right now. Arnold Sulikov. Uh, what, what's his nickname? I can't remember off the top of my head. I haven't got the spreadsheet in front of me. Uh, so he raced Challenge Wanaka at the weekend, and he's top top age grouper. Um, we finished 10th overall, uh, and he's raced Kona. He's raced all over the place. So we wanted to hear about what the conditions were like and what it takes to get up to 10th place. And also he's going to be doubling up and doing uh, Ironman New Zealand. Okay, here he is. Ladies, be excited because we've got a great accent coming on, haven't we, John? We have. Um, you'll have to. About one, do you know which country, Bevan? Well, I think French. Yes, you're going to be right. Uh, Based on the accent, he's got. I a, do have some idea of culture. God. He's got a. He's a, a, a contributed to the show many times, and he popped me an email after Challenge Wanaka at the weekend, and said uh, saying a little bit about the conditions, and I thought I oh, might as well get him on the show to talk to us a bit about what Challenge Wanaka was like compared to other races around the world. Uh, so it's Arnold Sulikov, and so welcome along to the show, Arnold. Good morning. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, guys. Oh, see, ladies, see that? Oh. <laughs> so, so you're, you're obviously f f um, you're from France, but I know you you live in Singapore, but um, your name doesn't actually sound particularly French. So we're, we're, what's your sort of... Uh... No, not, yeah, not really. Actually, I'm... Uh... My grandfather was a uh, from the my father's side was a Russian immigrant. Yeah. They they both moved from uh, Russia during the the Russian Revolution, so in the early 19th century. Yeah. And um, my grandfather was from the south of Russia, and my grandmother was from what is actually Latvia at the moment. And um, as funny as it is, it, they meet in um, in France close to Paris. And they get married there, and then my grandfather. I mean, it was in the 1936, 39, and then uh, he has been deported to Germany for um, uh, in the working camps. Oh, yeah. really? So, oh, and then when he came back, he finished his life. But he had, I mean, they had a happy life. But they were a very simple person, yeah. very, you know, like very. You know, when you when you are 18 years old and you decide to walk from uh, Russia to France, I mean, without. <laughs> all we have today like internet and the news and everything so it was a different life and um yeah they were strong and tough people yeah yeah for sure so a challenge moniker at the weekend you had a looked like a, a really strong day at the office finishing 10th overall and it was really interesting john ellis from muscles inc uh, actually finished second in the, the age group in the 40 to 49 and he got given a split on the run and uh, someone said you're one hour behind first place. <laughs> um, so maybe tell us a bit about your background um, and sort of where, where you've raced and uh, sort of Kona and things like that so people get a, an idea of your, your level of ability. Yeah, sure. So um, I've started triathlon actually in 1990, uh, so <laughs> that's mm -hmm. a long way. And um, 
I had zero sport background when I was a kid. I mean, for me, the sport in the family was something we, I mean, we, we were watching it on TV, but that was it. And um, when I was at the army, um, we basically we had the choice to do the shore or to get running in the in the woods. So <laughs> I took the, my chance. <laughs> I was going running, and I remembered my first run ever. I ran uh, 400 meters, and uh, I was broken for a couple of days. <laughs> but then, I mean, then I started running a bit more regularly. And at this time, without internet, there was uh, I, I picked up one day a flyer on an electric pole uh, indicating that there was um, uh, a triathlon in Orléans, in the south of uh, Paris. And uh, I registered, and it was my first crack at, uh, at a triathlon, and um, I really, I really loved it. I think I finished third from last. Yeah. <laughs> I, I almost drowned. Uh, it was a nightmare. And uh, but anyway, I really like it, and. Uh, it was for me uh, a real life-changing experience because at this time I was more like in trouble time. I was more into drinking and smoking and uh, and recreational drugs and all this stuff. So um, I, it has been a big switch to my life, and I think I never look back since. And so all the nineties where I was racing very much into Europe because because of the money and at this time the circuit was not that big. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, so I did, I think, six or seven times Nice Triathlon, which was a big, big thing at this time. Mm. And um, I did my first full distance Ironman in uh, 96 in France. It was not an Ironman branded, but it was an Iron distance. We had at this time a couple of uh, very simple uh, race. And uh, it was in uh, near Bourg-en-Bresse. And um, it was, well, for me, it has been, I mean, yeah, quite quite challenging because I was having no idea of the training. I was having no idea of how 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 to tackle this kind of race. So, but I did it. I think my first was something like ten thirty eight, and um, and then after I did Lanzarote in uh, ninety nine, Brahman also in ninety nine, and in two thousand two I had an accident. I was building my house and I fall from my roof. So. I fall from nine meters in a seated position, so I broke uh, my back quite quite uh, badly, and uh, I've stayed for for a while in the hospital without knowing if I would be walking again. Mm. And, um, that's another life-changing experience because you know everything. Then the day you can stand again and, and walk again, it's making a <laughs> it has a different taste, mm. and um, and the. I was shit scared about getting any surgery in my back. Uh, I have, I mean, I'm always scared about surgery, but you know, having metal plate in my back is not what I wanted. So, uh, talking with the surgeon, he proposed me to put me in a brace because because I was doing triathlon and sport. So he found that I was having um, a building which was strong enough. So I've been six months in a brace. So um, was not, I mean, was not nice because it's quite handicapping mm-hmm. and. Um, but then went well, and uh, the day I've been able to put my feet on the ground, I decided I was going to do Ambraman as soon as possible. So 11 months after my accident, I, I was on the starting lane of uh, Ambraman. Uh-huh. And um, so swim was okay. The bike was, of course, tough, but the run was a nightmare because I haven't been running almost at all and uh, just a bit of walking. So, But I finished the race, and, uh, and it was, was a great experience. 
so that's the beginning of my love with triathlon and um after the work get a bit in the way so it was a bit more complicated to train a longer hour and uh, in france i mean it's like in new zealand you have where the place i'm living is i used to live uh, it's like six months of winter so it's not easy to go training so the you know you, you cannot go cycling all year long you cannot mm. i mean we can, we can do cross-country skiing but it was different and uh, and again at this time i mean money wise and time wise was different because i was also the mayor of my village <laughs> i was working i was working in a company which was like 100 kilometers from my house so it's yeah it was a bit more complicated in terms of trying to play everything around and i had twins also so I mean, yeah, there was a lot of thing going on mm. and um and then I decided to to do something a bit simple for my life. So I I stopped being the mayor of my village. I divorced, and uh, <laughs> and I get an, I get a new life, and we moved to Singapore. Oh, and uh, it was very early 2007. And uh, arriving in uh, in Singapore was, I mean, it's completely different from uh, countryside life in uh, in France. So obviously, because of because it's a big city, because of the traffic, because of the heat. The job, everything was different, and um, so now it's ten years since, since we are in Singapore, and um, I've been able to um, to pick up my training there because Singapore, I mean, as, as shit as it is for for some reason about traffic and the heat and everything, it's it's beautiful weather every day. Mm -hmm. There is a swimming pool at every corner. There is a track everywhere, and the density of population made that there is many. People doing triathlon or doing sport that are, you know, in in very close distance from each other. So um, it's very easy to to meet some friend to go cycling together or to go running or to go to the swimming pool. So it was for me it was a bit easier. And my job, I have a small company there, so um, it's a bit. I mean, I have not as much time as I want, but I have a lot of time from. For me, I mean, it's you know, if I want to take two hours in the afternoon to go for a swim, it's not a problem since I'm the boss. <laughs> mm. I have nobody to ask, so um, I would say my training condition are are quite good. The only problem is for for the cycling, we have to wake up very early. So basically, the routine is I wake up at four in the morning, and uh, we do we do the training very early morning. So running and biking is done before seven thirty, mm. and um, or eight when it's a bit longer, and uh, and then we have we have longer stuff during the weekend. So, so yeah, this is the way it's organized, and um, and yeah, I mean, in the past uh, seven eight years, I've been racing pretty much all around the world. I've been to Kona four times, and uh, I'm going back this year. I'm going to get slapped in the face one more time, but that's uh, uh, when I was, you know, when you started triathlon in the nineties. For me, going to Kona was just like more than a dream because it was very, of course, complicated to get there. It's not very simple now, but, you know, going there was a lot of money, was a lot of time, was was everything that I was not having. So, and I've been chasing Kona for yeah almost 20 years. So, so and when I've, 
Yeah. So we'll just need to go go on to, to, to Wanaka because uh, if you if you go yeah, Kona, if you go into Kona, um, obviously <laughs> you're doing Wanaka and and Taupo. You know you've raced yeah. in so many different places um, around the world. Really keen to hear how Wanaka sort of matched up. I guess in terms of the conditions, it sounded like they were incredibly tough. Um, but also, you know, you will have seen what it was like when it's not so windy. So, so what did what, how did Wanaka unfold for you in terms of the race and uh, and what did you think of it all? Well, I, I always wanted to do Wanaka because we've been the first time in New Zealand in 2007 and. Um, we, we just stopped in Wanaka and I just found this place was just, I mean, this is everything that we were looking for, you know, like the, the countryside, the, the lake, the mountain, everything is there. So, and, but before in the calendar, Wanaka was much early in the season. So it was in January and usually for us, European, we go back in Europe for Christmas. So it was very complicated to do some proper training and then coming back to Singapore and then moving to Wanaka. So only since last year, it was doable. And um, yeah, it's just like, for me, this is typically the kind of race that I was looking for. So something a bit laid back, you know, very, very easy going. You know, sometimes when you go on an Ironman, you you have to do that. You have the position of your bib, the position of your bike. And when you are racking it and everything, it's very, it's very professional. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Wanaka is... It's professional, but in a different way, meaning that it's very relaxed. Everything is focused on the athlete. You know, there was the, the registration was a simple process. The course is absolutely amazing. It's just like it's completely out of this world. And uh, and we had not a good luck with with the weather because it was horrendous. I think for me it was by far the worst condition I ever had. It was my 23rd Iron Distance. I've been racing in Lanzarote and on Brahman on, I mean, quite tough courses, but shit, I mean, <laughs> that was madness. The, <laughs> the morning, the morning of the, of, of the race. Uh, so we were lining on the, on the beach and um, the pro start has been delayed because one of the boy was taken away by the wind. So it was not that cold, but it was maybe, I would say maybe like 10, 15 degrees. So, mm-hmm. With the wind, and you know, the morning of the race, everybody is a bit stressed. I was just shaking like uh, an old an old man on the beach, and um, <laughs> I did not want to warm up because the lake. I mean, I think they announced it was like 17 or 18 degrees, and you know, for us living in Singapore, when the water is get, is going below 30, it's cold. <laughs> so I was just thinking, I mean, I'm not going in the water. <laughs> it's just sorry, but I don't want to warm up, and. Um, and the lake, the start is on the south shore of the lake, and the wind coming from the north, we had very decent wave. I mean, it was worse than Kona this year, was worse than Busselton. Was uh, for me, it was the worst swim I ever did. The conditions were really rough, and uh, but the good thing is the field was not that big, and um, I've been. We were a group, I think, of four or five people uh, quite early in in front in the swim, and. Um, one guy was a bit ahead. I think he's the age grouper who won with the guy finishing. And um, so the the swim was rough, but was okay in the way that there was no many people, you know, climbing on you and kicking you in the face. So, and the course, I mean, it's it's wide, it's open. So it was very easy to uh, to take your line. 
And uh, the only problem in Wanaka is the return, the last stretch, is you are swimming in the sun mm. and uh, basically you don't see where you are going. So the wave plus the sun, I mean, was great. I just, I think I went like 100 meters off course. I was just wondering why there was nobody else with me. And uh, I was thinking, oh man, you have a good swim and uh, you must be in the lead. And uh, when I turned ahead, I just found that actually I was having passed the last boy for maybe 100 meters. So I just have to turn around and... Uh, but yeah, the swim I think was maybe a bit short because with all half swim, I was off the water in 58 and looking at the condition, I would say maybe more closer than 3.5, 3.6. And um, <clears throat> then the beginning of the bike is, uh, the bike is, you have a first out and back of about 35 kilometers and then there is two laps of 70. So the, the first out and back, the, the wind was just insane. It was, is this, is this, I think you know the course, John. It's, yeah. um, it's when you go to Glen Dubé, was, uh, we had a headwind and uh, it's quite here at this place. And there was some place, I would say, I mean, I was doing maybe like 12, 13 kilometers per hour. And oh. Uh, oh, we, we are just stuck on the road. It was just horrible. But again, the, 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 the view is so beautiful. The paysage and everything. It's just like was just amazing. So I was just thinking, well, I mean, it is the same for everybody. So just enjoy what it is, and uh, and um, just before the the first U turn, I've been able to see that I was the second age grouper. So um, I decided that maybe to push a bit harder on the bike and to try to see if I can catch the guy. And uh, I just came back on him a bit before the end of the first uh, lap, so around the uh, 90 100 km mark. And uh, I just came like 10 meters behind him and uh, then he turned around and he, and he saw me and he just put the hammer down and I never saw him again. So it <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> was, was a bit hard on me because I was catching him and suddenly the guy just dropped me like a bad habit. And, uh, and I had a bad patch of maybe yeah, 10, 15 kilometers. I was just seeing, you know, my legs were not feeling good. My brain was not feeling good. And um, because of the wind, I just noticed that chasing the guy, I've neglected my nutrition. And um, I had to uh, really catch as much gel as I can from the station to try to push a bit more calorie inside. And, uh, and then when we came back in town for the, the last loop, uh, I was starting to feel a bit better. But the wind was on the second loop. Was, it was nothing like I've seen before. And uh, was... A bit dangerous. I saw that uh, a pro girl has been taken down by uh, a gust at some place, yeah. and uh, and I was ra- racing a, a disc. I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm always the kind of guy you know to take the stupid decision. And uh, when I was packing my bike in Singapore, I was thinking, oh, for Topo, I'm just going to take my disc and uh, I'm going to be fine in Wanaka. But uh, I was not fine. I was just like, <laughs> I was all over the road. It was just like not complete nonsense. But uh, yeah, the, the the last lap was, was I would say, okay. And this is the funny part with Wanaka is you are basically on your own from the start to the finish. So it was more like a 180 kilometers time trial on your own. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a different experience because sometimes, you know, when you have more people around you can i mean you, you, you can race the other guy i was mm. more racing myself mm. and uh, when the conditions are hard when there is nobody around you know sometimes you just have to say wow shit, what what the heck i'm doing here and um, 
now I have to run a marathon and uh, <laughs> and, and, and it's not going to be pretty. But uh, anyway, we f I finished the bike. I was still in second position and we have few out and back on the bike course. So I knew that the guy behind me was a bit backward. And, um, and I started the run thinking that, uh, yeah, I would try to have a, a decent run. And uh, it's a two lap course there. And uh, the, the run is absolutely, I mean, it's fantastic. You, you, you run along the river, it's uh, slightly up and down, and uh, it's a soft ground. It was, was the best run I ever did. I think not, not about my performance, but about the beauty and, uh, and everything there was just, uh, was just amazing. Uh, mm -hmm. So I did the first lap with, the, with a smile on my face, and um, I thought I was lost at some point because I didn't see anybody. There was no, no other competitor. There was very you know very little i mean sign indicating about where the course was so but no i was uh, i was on the proper course and uh, <laughs> arriving at the end of the river you know there is an aid station and uh, for the first time of my life i've tasted red bull and uh i was Daddy tasting like shit <laughs> <laughs> no, not really i think i was going to spill it everywhere and uh the, on the return of the of the run course, there is a very sharp hill for maybe like 400 meters, and um, I caught uh, I think one of the last pro in the hill, and uh, we had a bit of a chat, and then we had a lot of headwind going back into town, so we were taking turn just to try to protect uh, protect us from the wind, and uh, and when we are a bit before arriving in town, actually we just saw a wall of black cloud arriving towards us and we just got drenched for the last 25k it was just horrendous and we had everything on this day we had the wind at some point it was warm we had rain it was just like you know this is the kind of race when you cross the finish line you are just so happy to to to, to get there and uh, but it was nice i really i really enjoyed it the organization was faultless was absolutely fantastic. I mean, Felix was Valchofer was there. He was he was there trying to have a talk with with all the athletes and everything. It's just you just feel. I mean, you know when they say like the challenge family, you just feel like you are a bit part of a family. Yeah. Especially the long course because the field was not that big and they were trying to give a bit more attention to the people on the long course. Yeah. The the, the volunteers were just amazing. I mean, for me, it was just like fantastic experience so yeah i really enjoy it awesome now we loved hearing about the race and we'll certainly want to hear about uh how you managed to double up in a couple of weeks time in taupo so it sounds like your <laughs> cam brown had you out running the next day which sounds like it's worked for your recovery as difficult as it was um but the challenge is always then trying to uh back it up two weeks later and see how you perform so we'll be checking your result with interest and uh and see how you go so enjoy the rest of your time in new zealand yeah i will thank you very much thank you guys awesome good stuff he's a great historian he always sends me emails about all these old, old races that he used to do he's a bit like louis isn't he he's a passion being around triathlon. being yeah. around so yeah. he'll be over in kona so we'll look forward to catching up with him there okay john needs to get on his bunch ride really soon so we've got to wrap this up pretty quickly guys uh patron Patrons Pavel the Wild Wrestler Chelsis We've got Marissa The Little Rascal Dirty Little Rascal <laughs> Dirty Little Rascal What's her last name? Rustetta 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 And Michael Turner Call Me Sir Yes we've got Anthony K 
Camarelli. Yep. Uh, and it's the Squid Express. And Lee the Merv Hughes. Nice. Australian cricket player. So guys, if you, if you want to get on, uh, become a patron, support the show. It keeps us doing what we love doing. Uh, it keeps you with plenty of entertainment every week. Plus, we're going to have our Kona draw coming up uh, early April. So you need to get on it real quick and you could get yourself a spot in Kona. If you come in at the $5 level, helps us out heaps. That's $5 a month. 10 bucks, you get yourself an awesome I Am Talk swim cap. 20 bucks, you get a swim cap plus a merino beanie. And uh, yeah, so get in there. We'll see you in Kona. You guys rock. Jumbo, you guys. I've done a lot of training in the last few days, Bevan. What for? When, Bel- when Belinda's away, training John goes out to play. <laughs> <laughs> she got the kids. Yeah, she's away in Kaiteri for a few days. They flew up, coming back tonight. Was that just right? My, my father, uh, father-in-law's up there, so he was just going to meet them in the airport, drive them across. So it was like last sort easy of win. easy one. Saturday did three and a half hours with a couple with quite a bit of climbing. Sunday we did the big bike ride with the Holy Hammer and the Philinator. I was a bit wrecked after that. Oh, and yeah. then, uh, and when then, you got home after that, what do you do? I, I was very around. disciplined with the. I had a nice smoothie, so I was had my nutritional dialed dialed in. So I was pretty good. But uh, I lay back with my legs up the wall for a while and just watched a bit of cricket. Nice. And, and then I did do a bit of work later so on. So, uh, and then yesterday, Phil and Ada and I went out for nearly a two-hour run in the hills. So it's been a big few days. And now I'm going to go on the bunch ride and I'm trying to sort of do the, the, the ketosis things. So my legs are tired and sore and this bunch ride could be interesting. What, um, I had a question that totally went out of my head. How was the cricket? Oh, when you're off Tepa Camp. Oh, not for ages. It's not till the middle of the year. Oh, so you can pretty peak pretty early. No, I've got to get in shape quickly. <laughs> Bevan, you, you you witnessed the world record on the weekend. Uh, Bevan, cool. Brendan McCullum had the most sixes, who became the person who set the most sixes in the world. He hit the fastest century uh, in the history of test cricket. And then he said uh, that New Zealand had the highest run rate ever in a first day of a test oh, match. Really? It was records all over the and place. Australia's still going to beat us. And they're still going to crush us today. They'll win today on the fourth well, day. in Australia, you're bloody good test cricket. There's no denying it. But I have to say, it was a great day. It's, it was pretty grim to start with. It was really interesting actually because the first hour and a half we weren't even scoring oh, runs God, like, it was painful. I think Kane Williamson three runs off 90 balls or something stupid it's like ridiculous. that so it was ridiculous and then McCullum came in and it was just like yin and yang it yeah. was a definition of it it was just awesome man it was, and it was just it's, I don't go to live sport enough because when you go to live sport mm. it's well it's when different. it's a good game it was just so entertaining and we had a good bunch of friends so really enjoyed the cricket went to Cirque du Soleil Oh, nice. How do you say that? Cirque, Cirque du Soleil. Yeah. yeah. Kida. Um, yeah. Mm. Jeez, those guys are impressive. Mm. Man, they had this one, two, you know, the strength couples. Mm. One, the guy's standing up with his head forward. The woman's basically opposite to him. So she's up in the air like a straight. Mm. So basically the length of a person, not even holding each other. Mm. Just the heads. Oh, it was unbelievable, John. It takes a bit of core strength. Oh, just unbelievable. So highly entertaining. And uh, I think I need to wrap it up because you need to go. Yeah. Yeah. Iron Russ. I need to. Train hard. Train smart. Kia Get on your bike, John. <laughs>